Hi guys, it's me again. Episode 2 is coming out quickly. I decided to read part of my book as part of this book launch um, because creating an audiobook is very expensive. So I just got off the phone a couple days ago with my book consultant because I would love to make this book an audiobook. I actually dream of reading this book out loud because anyone who knows me in the real world knows I have a really excited and high voice and I'm very passionate about what I wrote in this book. And so I'd love to read it out loud, but just like everything else in life, there's a lot of rules and regulations and everything costs money. So the first 10,000 words of an audiobook costs about $1,800. And that is not money I have right now. So I hope you enjoy this free platform where I can read you a piece of my manuscript and you can get to know what when relationships matter, a social emotional approach of teaching and learning is all about. And I'm going to start with the preface of my book. It was the summer of 2019, and I had just accepted a coaching position for a school-wide discipline committee at my school. The district had adopted a well-known discipline initiative for the upcoming school year. I was excited about the opportunity because I had served on the same committee in a different district eight years earlier. I suggested using my classroom management system part as our school-wide acronym. I explained that I call all my parents partner and ask my students to do their part every day to learn and love others. Furthermore, I told them what each letter meant in terms of classroom expectations. P stood for prepped and ready, which called the students to be organized and school ready. A stood for attitude awareness, which called the students to be aware of their emotions and reactions. R stood for respect and responsibility, which focused on how my students should act and talk towards themselves and others. T stood for teamwork, because the class was a community of learners who cared and supported each other daily. The committee loved the idea of using PART as our new school-wide plan, so we started to plan the remainder of the summer. As we planned PART for the school, I quickly realized that not everyone intended to use it in the same way I had designed it to work. It was hard for me to follow along with the process because I had been developing and using it little by little over the past 10 years. Eventually, it was obvious I had too many personal ties with the acronym to continue to serve on the committee with all the changes. So I stepped down and thought I had lost my part system forever. I am forever indebted to my principal because she called me shortly after I resigned and gave me the option to take back my acronym part. This may seem trivial, but after the committee searched on the web for other ideas, PART stood out because it was an original acronym that no one had used previously. I worked for my principal for three years prior, and I appreciated that she recognized how personal PART was to me. I didn't realize it at the time, but I would have been deeply hurt if the school had used PART in any way without my input and experience behind it. After much thought and prayer, I took my acronym back and decided to share it with the world in the way I'd experienced it in the past. I've been on this journey to protect it and thoroughly explain its design. Yes, I did indeed design this system, and I need to get used to taking the credit. I had never imagined myself authoring a book, but here I am, passionate about keeping the integrity of this system in place at any cost. It wasn't until I shared it that I realized how commercialized my teaching profession had become. Now, as a teacher, your ideas and methods can bring you social media fame, and in some cases, profit, 
You can have pin boards on Pinterest. You can sell your packets and lesson plans on Teacher Pay Teacher. You can self-promote on social media with catchy hashtags and campaigns. Well, I'm not that kind of teacher. At least, that's not my end goal. My motives for staying in the classroom are purely about the students, particularly low socioeconomic populations of students, because I was once in their shoes. Believe it or not, this profession was my only childhood dream. My parents were immigrants, and I had two older brothers and two older sisters. We had everything we ever needed while growing up, but it was dependent on my parents working multiple jobs and my siblings and I managing the household chores and responsibilities at very young ages. School was pretty much the only thing we did outside of home and family. Now, we are all college graduates and professionals. My parents instilled a sense of respect for this country's systems because these opportunities would have never been available for them as a married couple in the Philippines. Although my mom finished college and was a chemist when she married my dad, my dad came from a poor family of farmers. If he hadn't signed on with the U.S. Navy, the best he could have done for his family would have been to raise his kids to be poor farmers too. So my parents took their roles and responsibilities seriously in their workplaces and at home in this new country. When they immigrated here in 1960s, it wasn't an easy time for them. The country was segregated and were, as were the Navy ships. Depending on who my parents were with and where they were, they didn't always fit in. They came over with my toddler brother, age two at the time, not speaking much English, and were had few resources and little money. My dad described the conditions as terrible, but he had no choice. He wanted better for his family, so he stayed with the Navy for 28 years, until he retired. In every new area my parents were stationed at, they commune with other immigrant Filipino families. They learn how to depend on and take care of each other. I think those relationships and their frugal money sense were their saving grace. My dad was stationed in four different places before he settled in Virginia as his final home. My parents' household was structured when I was growing up. I was aware of what I was privileged to have and do. We all had chores and duties to fulfill throughout the week. My parents made it quite clear that they were the authorities of the household, and what they said we needed to do was what they expected to be done. My dad was the workhorse, main provider, and disciplinarian. My mom was the household manager, educational supervisor, and rule maker. They both worked full-time jobs, even after my dad retired. They also picked up a number of odd jobs here and there. Then they managed a couple of rental properties. Because we were their large family, it wasn't unheard of for us to go with my dad to work or my mom to work. If my older siblings weren't available to watch me, I just tagged along with my dad at one of the rental properties. This was our normal. Our family's work and needs were always central to everything, and we just made it work for the benefit of each other. This is the backstory of how my part system first began. This is the reason why, for almost 10 years, I never doubted its application in the classroom setting. I grew up with the principles of organization, structure, discipline, respect, responsibility, and teamwork. Because we were people of color and of the working class, we also grew up with principles of hard work, resilience, grit, and determination.
Our way of living wasn't abnormal for a lot of less fortunate families in our society. It just wasn't always accepted as a systematic norm. That was the hard part of fitting into the American culture at times. Some of the etiquette and procedures were way too foreign for my family because we didn't grow up with it modeled or taught to us at home. Some of what was expected from my siblings and me, even in school, was hard to manage when our parents worked multiple jobs and had a large number of kids to provide for. My parents were always found a way to make it work, but when they couldn't keep up with it, or if they stood out as different, it would instantly make them angry. They tried so hard, but adversity, adversity was unavoidable at times. As I became an adult, I inherited some of that anger early on, but I quickly realized that the doors of opportunity closed pretty fast for those with a poor attitude. I made a note to myself that I needed to set my students up for success and included the expectation of a positive attitude as a classroom norm. The acronym part did not come about until my fourth year of teaching. I had just gotten married and moved to South Carolina. I wanted to continue teaching, but nationwide there were massive job cuts, so the inventory for open positions were non-existent. Fortunately, by the end of October, I was called in for an interview for a third grade position at a Title I school in town. The current teacher was leaving the position because of the large number of behavior problems with the class. Apparently, this particular class had quite the reputation for misbehavior. Their teachers previously had left the class in kindergarten and first, second, and now third grade. I observed them and made the acronym part as my basic infrastructure to classroom management. P stands for prepped and ready. Nothing seemed organized and the students struggled to keep their belongings together. They had no structure and keeping to schedule was nearly impossible. A stands for attitude awareness. In gestures, words, and body language, the students displayed hostility towards each other. They were angry all the time and easily offended. R stands for respect and responsibility. The students didn't have any respect for anything, and because of that, they weren't learning. I knew if I wanted to influence their academics, they would have to learn who to respect and how to earn the respect of others. T stands for teamwork. It seemed that the previous teacher would stop instruction constantly because of interpersonal conflicts among peers. The class was cliquish and divided. I made it an expectation that we as a group need to work together to get anything done. At first, I used PART as a card system. Each child got a set of cards that spelled out PART in a plastic pocket that hung from a string at the front of his or her desk. If a child misbehaved under an expectation, he or she would have to turn a card around. If the child had two or more cards turned around by the end of the day, I would write a detailed note in the student's folder about his or her wrong choices. Because the system was more punitive than positive, I tried to balance part with a banking log to pay students for good choices throughout the day. So, for example, if Johnny was caught working quietly during work time, I would pay him a quarter. At first, both systems worked amazingly. Within about two weeks, however, the students grew apathetic towards the park card system. They were sick of the bad notes and didn't care to comply with my rules and expectations. The students did love the banking log, but they grew greedier as the year went on. I remember totals of bank accounts reaching in the 500s because I was paying students $5 by the end of the year to sit in their seat while working. 
When I think back to that year, I smile and laugh at myself because I was so desperate to get the students perform and be safe. To do part in this manner was ineffective, expensive, and time-consuming. On top of that, I questioned whether I could make it in the teaching profession because I was emotionally and physically drained. Never again will I return to such madness. Of course, I didn't wise up to this rationalization until I took some time off in the classroom. After teaching three years in South Carolina, my husband accepted a job back in Virginia. We had been trying to have children for two years, so when we moved back, I took some time off to recalibrate our priorities. I ended up taking four years off, having two kids and mentoring teenagers through a high school ministry called Young Life. It was through those years of raising kids and working with adolescents that I came to understand the meaning of deep relationships and value of young lives. I had studied plenty of child development courses in college, but nothing prepared me better for developmental learning than raising my own kids and counseling teens through their problems. Because those years away from the classroom were hyper-relational or constantly about caring for people, I was wiser and more mature in how I wanted to relate with my students when I returned to work in 2016. I didn't want any more gimmicks or shallow reward systems. I didn't want to coerce my students into learning. I wanted them to want to learn for themselves. An educator can expect to have a number of difficult students and a large academic gaps in one class roster when he or she teaches at a Title I school. Early on, however, when I started back to work teaching first grade, I saw a lot of new challenges had been added to the profession. First off, students entered daycare a lot earlier than I had previously experienced. They may have been used to a classroom environment for many years, but they weren't used to being told what they had to do or being held accountable to learn in a certain way. Since parents paid for those daycare options that resembled school, it was hard to convince parents that there was a difference between daycare and school. Then I realized that many of my students were in blended family households. Parents were separated, divorced, or living with a boyfriend or girlfriend. I could never assume the relationship of the adults in my students' lives because there were so many different scenarios. Custody arrangements weren't always straightforward and could vary from week to week or month to month. On top of all that, new trends with gaming and smart devices were now popular. Kids were spending less time in the real world. Lots of what they wanted to do or talk about was fantasy-related. Social interaction, manners, conversation skills, and focus were now weak areas for many students, even high-achieving students. Families were busier, so those things weren't the social norm anymore. With that in mind, I adapted part to address those weaknesses. In spring 2020, I finished my 10th year teaching and I'm expecting my fifth baby in the fall. Teaching while parenting has only helped me gain the insight and expertise I needed to make the system relationally sound and effective. Every year, my parents and students know I am on their side, a cheerleader in their corner. We truly build partnerships with each other, and the students learn how to build partnerships with their peers. They never question whether I care, and they grow to even love themselves through the learning process. In my classroom, it's not unusual for my struggling learners and students with major behavior problems to blend into the crowd. We carry out our days as one big team or family. As unrealistic as that may sound, part is real. I'm excited to share more about the system with you in this book.
Part has carried me through two maternity leaves and a global pandemic, and it will carry me through another maternity leave this coming fall. In the last four years of teaching, I've been proud of the type of learners I send to the next grade level. They are all independent, productive, and smart. I've never achieved less than 98% of met benchmarks for both reading and math all four years. I never came close to achieving that in my career during the first six years because I could never conquer the classroom management piece. Now I know it was just because I approached the task all wrong. Relationships matter the most. My experience has been that even with impeccable data, Strong relationships with students and parents are far more rewarding than percentages. I've learned that they can be strong, driving forces to long-lasting change and better academic futures. No longer do I let teaching drive me to behavior management. I have higher expectations than that. I'm restoring the practice of building class communities. It's freed me to enjoy my job again and don't feel like it's changing me into someone I don't want to be. The woman I am to my husband and children is the same woman at work, even with my most difficult child. I'm kind, present, empathetic, patient, and productive. I hope this system can be a game changer in your life and a source of stability for a continued future as an educator. Well, the recordings got a little out of order, but the preface is the first part of the book that I am reading and sharing with you guys. And if you like the preface and what you've heard here, please go ahead and listen to episode three, which would be the reading of my introduction. After the reading of my introduction, you can go to episode four and hear the format of my table of contents so you know what the book covers in its entirety. Thanks for listening.